are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Big 12 Podcast. On today's show, Ben Stevens, the former host of Locked On Big 12 Podcast, joins me today. He is now working for Sports Grid Radio. We talk all things Alliance in college football, and then talk about week zero and week one gambling. Fun show coming your way. Hope you guys enjoy. Making his return to the Locked On Podcast Network, it is Ben Stevens, formerly of the Locked On Big Ten Podcast, uh, now of Sports Grid Radio. Anything else besides Sports Grid, Ben, that you are part of? No, it's mainly Sports Grid now, Josh, which is, you know, a great opportunity. Things are going very well, but it is an honor. And I feel very grateful for the fact that I am back on the Locked On Podcast Network. And the first Locked On Podcast that I do on my return to the network is with you on Locked On Big 12. It means the world to me. And I'm very, very honored for this opportunity. Well, Ben, you never know. This always could be the last Locked On Big 12 podcast uh, because of the way way things are going in college sports right now. Um, I've been asking people their thoughts are on the Alliance. So I'll ask you. Uh, I'm sure you saw the press conference yesterday. A whole lot was said and a whole lot wasn't said yesterday by the three conference commissioners that we saw, George Klyavkov, uh, Kevin Warren, and Jim Phillips. Um, look, like schedule agreements make a lot of sense. You know, you can make Michigan USC, Michigan State Duke, whatever it is. But I thought we were going to get a lot more substance than we ended up getting yesterday. Oh, so much more substance. If anything, it felt like a press conference they wanted to throw just to throw a press conference. It meant absolutely nothing. It went from, okay, I'm a little bit confused by what I'm seeing here initially, especially the Zoom backgrounds that included all the conference logos and looked quite snazzy. It went from being confused to slightly entertained to maybe a tad compelled by what they had to say about the scheduling alliance and about their ideas on the 12-team college football playoff expansion to then just complete and utter secondhand embarrassment for these people and then just straight-up laughter, realizing that nothing that was said over the course of that press conference meant anything or had any credence whatsoever. It was like some general facade they were trying to put on for us. When Jim Phillips and George Klyavkov said that we are pretty much not under contract This is a gentleman's agreement. An agreement among three gentlemen was the exact quote of George Klyavkov, the new Pac-12 commissioner. How could you take anything from that point on seriously? And that's really how I felt about it. Because, Josh, I think if you have a certain understanding about college football, college athletics in general, but especially big-time college football and these Power Five conferences, you realize and you have a true understanding that this is all about money. That has been the case when this story first broke about the potential alliance. It is still the case now, despite the illusions illusions of grandeur they were trying to give us yesterday. It's about money. It's about negotiating TV rights. It's about having an ego-stroking contest back and forth with Greg Sankey of the SEC to make sure that he knows the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC are not going anywhere. It did leave out the Big 12, and we got a response from Bob Bowlesby today saying that the Big 12 is going to focus on continuing to do what they do, pretty much. But from the alliance yesterday, very little of anything, except it felt like a romantic comedy of college football that we looked into each other's eyes, and we had that level of trust. Yeah, it's also a sport where verbal commitments mean nothing, right? I mean, it's a sport that a whole lot of it like is verbal commitments, right, from young, young people who oftentimes change their minds, which is totally fine. But this, this felt like they, like you said, they wanted us to believe there's something there. There's a there there so they can compete with Greg Sankey because Greg Sankey went and made the move and 
it's, you know, good for him for doing so. Uh, it's going to ruin the integrity of college sports probably. And the product as we know, I mean, look, you covered a conference that has, that had 14 teams in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know there's only 10, but you know, this, that, you know, cause these people comment on all of our stuff. There are people in, uh, you know, in Piscataway, New Jersey, who went to Rutgers or care about Rutgers. There are people who went to Kansas state who live in Manhattan or elsewhere that care about college football. And, you know, this scheduling alliance feels like it's something that could actually help maintain a few of those things, right? You know, as much as we make fun of it, it actually could. But the problem is there's no substance to it. And also right. it doesn't really help the Big T- Big 12, which is the issue, because as soon as that conference dissipates, and I think if those Kansas States, those Texas Techs, those Baylors of the world fall away to the wayside and there's no consequences, why should other conferences say, hey, we could shove away the Georgia Techs? We could shove away the Rutgers. We could shove away all these programs that don't make us as much money and try to make, you know, try to form alliances or conferences, if you will, with exclusively those who would raise the financial profile of a conference or a group. Right. And I think you bring up a good point there for schools in these conferences that maybe don't generate that much revenue based on their football program alone, like a Rutgers. You could look to the ACC, like a Duke, like whatever you might want to find, a Wake Forest. Or you can look to the Pac-12 and see an Oregon State team in Corvallis or Washington State up in Pullman. Although they have a very solid fan base, they are not generating the type of TV revenue that is appealing to TV networks and potential new conferences and how this might be. So the idea of an alliance to pit a Clemson versus Ohio State every year a michigan usc like you mentioned a penn state ucla whatever it might be that draws the tv eyeballs and the tv revenue and at the end of the day that is where the scheduling alliance means the most to these conferences not to the fan bases but to the league offices of these conferences because if they can compel a tv network to buy that package that every year we guarantee you the top team in the big 10 will play the top team from the acc from the year prior that is going to mean huge TV revenue and eyeballs on that product. It's also an idea that these schools are trying to renegotiate the idea of college football expansion because if the college football playoff expands and it goes to 12 teams, they want it to make sure, especially the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC, because the SEC has an exclusive partnership with ESPN and Disney, that other TV networks can bid on the CFP product. That is big money for all. If you are a smaller school within that conference, that is a good thing for you from a revenue perspective because you get an equal share of that TV revenue. In 2019, the Big Ten played all 14 of its member institutions over $50 million. That's really good. It didn't matter if you were Rutgers or Ohio State. You made over $50 million based off TV revenue in the even split. So it's very incentivized for Rutgers to stay in the Big Ten at that moment, and they don't really care that it's not going to be their draw is what is making the TV revenue for their conference. That's huge money for them. And that's the idea of what this scheduling alliance is. That's what this idea of the college football playoff expansion is. It is about TV rights. It is about media revenue. They saw what the SEC was positioning themselves for with this new deal with ESPN that starts in 2024, getting the big names of Oklahoma and Texas because that garners a lot of attention and movement. And that is what they wanted to set up for themselves when the Big Ten renegotiates their TV contract in this upcoming year, when the Pac-12 finally has something other than the Pac-12 network. The ACC is pretty locked in. But outside of that, that's what they're trying to generate here. And at the end of the day, I do truly believe it's a power grab of sorts because these conferences that used to kind of be aligned with each other prior to last season no longer are. And it's an ego of, I want to make sure you know I hold the most power and have the most sway in the realm of college football. 
Quick break in the action today. Let you guys know today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. A bunch of new contests available right now at BetOnline. NFL Super Contest, NFL Eliminator Pool, both available right now at BetOnline. It's easy to sign up. You can sign up on your phone, on your tablet, on your iPad, on your computer, on your, what about your iPod Touch? If that still works, you can sign up there today, betonline.ag, MLB, NBA, F1, college football, NFL, whatever you want, they've got. You can bet it today. BetOnline, they're your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I'm wondering now how this affects the college football playoff because it feels like that 12-team thing that we are just talked about might get thrown out the window because the big thing is if you add these schedule alliances and you make all – and I, I think there's assumption that the conferences that don't play nine-game schedules right now will go to that because obviously um, the Big Ten does, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. the Big Ten. The, the Big 12 already did because obviously it's 10 schools. It's played in nine other schools. And it seems like everybody was going to head – and the SEC will now they've got that. But if you're going to do a schedule alliance in the Big Ten and the ACC, like you're adding more difficult games. Mm-hmm. So you're adding the potential for more losses, which is adding the potential for you maybe to be left out of a college football playoff. That's where that's my next big thing, because if you're Texas like and, you know, the, the next money thing to me is actually college football playoff appearances. Right. Like that's the next step. You actually have to make it there to, to now. Uh, make the next level up, right? Because all these teams are going to start sharing this much revenue. So the top guys are going to start fighting to get that more. That 12-team format that we just talked about, which is not set in stone yet to my understanding, right? It's not set in stone. I think that changes because if Michigan's playing, you know, UCLA or or Clemson or Florida State, like that could be another loss for the, for these teams. So they have to find a way to make sure that, that because they're adding another difficult non-conference game, there's still a way for them to get in. You see what I'm saying? I feel like that's something that we might have to, whoa, hold on. Let's, let's think about what we just talked about with the at-larges and whatnot. Right. No, and I think the idea about that also kind of goes down to, and the Big Ten talked about this, when we thought there might have been actually something of substance out of the alliance agreement and the alliance announcement of a couple of days ago, there might was some mock-ups of what the Big Ten might be doing schedule-wise. Could they move down to only eight conference games? Then you have your yearly game against a Pac-12 opponent, an ACC opponent, and still gives you the wiggle room of having two non-conference games against what you would assume probably lesser schools, but maybe have some kind of generation of buzz if it's a school from your area, whatever it might be. That was a thought. And if that was the case, maybe the Big Ten go away from two divisions and just have one league in general and not the two divisions that pits the winner of the Big Ten West versus the winner of the Big Ten East in the conference championship game with just the two best schools. So that was the thought of what might happen if the scheduling alliance and the alliance in general gave us anything of substance. That was not the case. But that's why I think there was a little bit more hesitation from the college football playoff expansion idea now, and especially on behalf of the three commissioners as a part of the alliance, because all of them yesterday had some sort of hesitation about this idea of expansion. Jim Phillips of the ACC probably first and foremost saying the ACC has not come up with an idea about how they feel about college football playoff expansion. Kevin Warren of the Big Ten said he is all for more teams getting a slice of the pie, but there were a couple things on the exterior they needed to figure out. Same idea of George Kleokoff. He was a big fan of it, but how exactly does it look? What is the methodology of this college football playoff expansion? So I think that's on pause for a minute, and I think you are having an idea of What exactly does that look like? You bring up the at-larges versus the six automatic bids that was originally planned from that working committee earlier this summer. 
I don't know if any of that looks the same. There is a college football playoff meeting, a committee meeting of sorts, I believe, at the end of September. That will be a very, very interesting meeting because it will pit what we have currently versus what might be happening in the future. And I think a lot of that is going to be feeling out from either side, the SEC versus the alliance, to see how we move forward. Yeah, each side will be standing their ground, right, trying to make sure their conference gets spots. And, you know, this is the position of the of the breakaway, right? This is what we're talking about here. It's really funny. I'm not sure if you saw that picture that Greg Sankey tweeted of, of the book he had read from a couple of years ago, but it was the story of the Premier League and how the Premier League had started. And really, the Premier League is the story of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, we talk about the big six and, and just how that league works as it is. And that's, you know, what we could be – heading towards if, if the SEC does not like the situation that happens because they've got the necessary parts to, to almost say, fine, like we could do our own, you know, playoff. We have 16 teams. What if we made four pods and pitted the four pod winners against each other in a four-team end-of-the-year tournament? Could people come to us and say it's not the best team in the country? We don't believe that. So that's, you know, the position they could put themselves in. I think you're right. I, I, I'm really fascinated to see what the posturing and the positioning is going to be because we even saw it at a smaller level. Baylor, uh, Texas Tech, and TCU put themselves together when they were before the Texas State Senate. They were like, these three schools need to be held together and stay together because it's the health of you know Texas higher education, basically. At that point, it's what they were saying. This is that on a higher level. This is three conferences saying, we only have like three teams that are really <laughs> that can that can really cash out for us, three or four teams. We got to keep those together so we don't, you know, we, we can match that revenue level um aren't you glad we have actual football this week yes very much so i have loved all of the ideas of conference realignment and cfp expansion we have had but now it is the first game week of the college football season and that that is a beautiful thing uh one beautiful thing has been scott frost the last week it's been hilarious um i this guy like is there anybody who is a more public tough guy than, than scott frost so you have a situation with all the, you know, with the, the practices being, the, the film being released. And this kind of feels like a UConn, Kevin Ollie, uh, Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt situation, doesn't it? Where it seems like the people on the inside of Nebraska might not really want Scott Frost around. How do you feel about them this week as seven-point road favorites with everything swirling around right now? Well, I think it's two very different ideas. I think, first and foremost, the future program that Nebraska has right now and the grace period for the prodigal son who has returned home in Scott Frost, who led Nebraska to their last national championship in 1997. That grace period, that warm and fuzzy feeling, I think is starting to wear off and wear off in a very quick way in Lincoln, Nebraska. And you mentioned the people in the program that might not want him around. Well, Nebraska, of course, just recently hired a new athletic director, Trev Alberts, who also has ties to the program was at UNO before that, University of Nebraska-Omaha. He and Scott Frost, I don't know exactly if they see eye-to-eye, but he is not Scott Frost's hand-picked guy. So that's Mm. always that idea of, hey, if something can happen and we need to get you out of here, this might be the easiest path to do that. Year four of Scott Frost begins on Saturday against Illinois. I actually think that that number is way too good of a number on Nebraska. I expected it by the time we got to this week zero, around where we are right now, middle of the week, that Nebraska would probably be favored by nine and a half, ten, maybe even into that double-digit ranks because they are going up against a team in Illinois that doesn't really matter what they have on the roster. It's the first year of a new regime under Brett Bielema and the talent across this Illinois football roster, an Illinois team that went two and six, and yes, one of those two wins came against Nebraska in Lincoln as 15 and a half point underdogs. But still, 
I don't think Illinois can keep up with its Nebraska team just based on a pure talent on the roster perspective because I do believe that Nebraska still has those pieces in place under Scott Frost to do something. And by something, I mean get to a bowl game because their team win total is six. If Nebraska is going to get to a bowl game, one of the wins they need absolutely like more than anything is this opener against Illinois. And so when you give me a number at seven, I don't think that's enough. I think Nebraska needs to win and they need to cover that number to instill any level of confidence this Nebraska team is going to be a bowl eligible team this year and is going to have any sort of success within the Big Ten and the Big Ten West. Because, Josh, the final three weeks for Nebraska in the month of November are so, so difficult. Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa to end out. If they have not got to six by that time, by the end of October, whew, it might be the end of Scott Frost's time in Nebraska because if he can't get to a bowl game this year, then I don't really think there's a future for Scott Frost past this year. One more word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting, best for you protein bar in the game today. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and check out all of their available flavors. They really do have something for everybody. It's it's hard to find something, uh, not find something that you like at Built Bar. They've got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. If you don't like one of those flavors, I'm sorry. I'm not really sure what to tell you. 17 grams of protein, 130 grams, uh, 130 calories rather, only 4 grams of sugar and only 4 grams of net carbs. You get a built.com. That's built.com today. Use that promo code LOCK15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCK15. You'll get 15% off right now. That's built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Yeah, they, I mean, they have to win this game. And look, the thing is, they got Fordham and Buffalo next, and they're going to win both those games. Buffalo, people might say they're decent, but they lost Lance Leipold in May. Yeah. And Kansas is going through it right now, the same thing happening at Buffalo. I mean, it's a, it's really hard to replace a coach at, at that point of the process uh, in, in a football season. So, 3-0, but then there is the – I want to get your thoughts on this, the Oklahoma situation. Um, last year, Scott Frost was very much on record saying, we'll play anybody. Anytime, anywhere, yep. except for Oklahoma, apparently, uh, this season at noon on Fox in the fourth week of the college football season. They were making calls to other schools. Um, Andy Staples said that he was in contact with people, you know, at some of the other schools that were called to, to or, or one of their opponents was called, and they were about to lose a game. So what do you make of that? I mean, of this game and them trying to back out, like, it's great they're bringing this rivalry back together. It's and Nebraska fans should be happy about this. It looks worse if you back out than if you get pounded, right? I mean, you know, it looks yeah. much worse. And now it's even double whammy because you you try to back out and you're going to get pounded. So it's both. Yeah. Oh, it's a terrible, terrible sight for Nebraska fans and for that Nebraska football program. The optics of it from a national perspective, I think, are actually spot on. Scott Frost can say what he wants, that he has never made a call regarding his team's football schedule in his now four years at the helm of this Nebraska football program. I don't buy that. I don't buy that he wasn't a part of the discussion, at the very least, to try to get out of this OU game. What he said in that press conference after the report of the NCAA violations came out about about this whole idea of the rescheduling of that Oklahoma game is that, and I get this to a certain extent, but I think it was more of a cop-out than anything that actually had legs to it, was the original game, this week zero opener against Illinois, was scheduled to be played in Dublin, Ireland. They then had a week two bye week that Scott Frost did not want a part of. That's why they filled Fordham there. So he was renegotiating the schedule to make it work best for this Nebraska football team. So instead of having that week two bye week and then rattling off 
11 games to play out throughout the rest of the year, including that Oklahoma game early on in the non-conference slate. He was trying to readjust the schedule. I don't know if I believe that. This Oklahoma report came out well after we knew that Nebraska and Illinois was not going to be played in Dublin this year. Mm -hmm. So I think it looks bad on Scott Frost. It looks bad on Nebraska. And you're right, Josh. Now they're going to go and probably be three touchdown underdogs, whatever it might be against Oklahoma. And I don't think that's probably a big enough line because Oklahoma is going to be so good this year and have the capability to put up so many points. And the Sooners defense is going to be much improved as it has been the last couple of seasons under Lincoln Riley and Norman that I think it's going to be a very, very difficult test for Nebraska. I think the idea of bringing back these two foes from the Big Eight days and the great rivalries of Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne back when that was happening, it looked great on paper. I'm sure Scott Frost would have even echoed that knowing the tradition and the history of the Nebraska football program. But now to kind of even go back on that word just feels very suspect. Yeah, and that's what makes you know, Illinois-Nebraska as kind of the main course doesn't really feel great for Week Zero. We had the Miami-Florida game a couple years ago. I forgot. We I guess we didn't have week zero last year, did we? No. Um, but if you're a hardcore college ball fan, I think all that stuff, kind of the all those things, gonna kind of make it a really exciting matchup. What else are you looking at this week? Because a lot of big numbers. You got Hawaii and UCLA. Uh, poor Hawaii. I'm not sure if you've seen the situation with their stadium. I mean, it is. You know, the Holo Aloha Stadium gets condemned. Obviously, this one is not there, but they're playing on you know a, a, a practice field basically. Um, and I mean, you know, they're going to come play UCLA who we think should be a lot better, right? That's a team that, right. that, and I think this game's huge because UCLA gets LSU at home the following week. So yeah. I love that. So I'm kind of thinking forward almost, and I'm really excited to see how, what UCLA does. I think what's the number of them right now is like what, 18, 17 or 18, um, in yeah. that game against Hawaii. Yeah. yeah against Hawaii. Uh, what do you think about that, and what, what else do you have your eye on here in week uh, zero? Well, I think Hawaii and UCLA is going to be a very fun game just to look at from an optics perspective. I think we can expect a ton of points. I think Hawaii is actually a pretty good team. I've spoken to people that think Hawaii might be a long shot to win the Mountain West, or at least their division in the Mountain West. So if that's the case, maybe they give UCLA a tough enough test, not saying they win the game, but maybe they can cover that big number of 17 and a half, 18, whatever it might be by the time we get to kickoff on Saturday. I also think you just are going to be excited to watch that game. It's college football back in your lives. You have Hawaii and UCLA. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. DTR for the UCLA Bruins, a quarterback who has done great things in his time in Westwood and now is back healthy and they expect big things to happen in Chip Kelly's offense. A huge year for Chip Kelly if he is going to be sustainable as the head coach of UCLA. So that should be a lot of fun. Fresno State and UConn is not sexy by any means, but Fresno State's like a 28-point favorite. I don't think it's enough. UConn didn't even play football last year. Take the Bulldogs for everything that they are worth over the Huskies. So even those games, a couple of known brands, like Fresno State's not a huge brand, but you've watched them before. You've right. watched David Carr. You've watched Derek Carr, Devontae Adams. You know what they have done if you stayed up late on the East Coast to watch a little bit of those Fresno State Bulldogs in late coast or late night Mountain West action, if they're even still in the Mountain West. They might not even be the Mountain West. Regardless, you're excited to watch some of those games. And UCLA, Hawaii being the same case. And Nebraska and Illinois, the fact that it's a Big Ten opener, sure, it's not the sexiest names of the Big Ten Conference or of any of college football, but it will be a lot of fun to at least have a conference game that does have some relevance based on Nebraska being in the national headlines here in the past two weeks. So I think overall, the Week Zero slate is going to be a small sample to get you excited again for college football. You're going to watch because it's college football. And then Week Number One, Oh boy, so many good marquee matchups that I think it will really set the stage for that. 
Yeah, people are going to be shocked that Todd Graham is still coaching. Uh, they're going to learn that he's coaching Hawaii this week, which, <laughs> which is, like, bizarre. Uh, yeah, so there's not as many. I mean, that that Miami-Florida game was excellent that we had a couple years ago, but we make up for it in week one. There are so many good games. And just kind of looking ahead, Ben, what are your thoughts on uh, – the one I think a lot of people are looking at for a gambling perspective is the Miami game, catching 18-and-a-half against a new-look Alabama team. And I think there's a lot of people out there who want to take Miami, right? It's fun to take that kind of newer team, getting a whole lot of points and taking a player like Derek King. Uh, What are your thoughts on that game as we kind of look forward to week one? It is a crazy thing that a defending national champion, and I understand that, but with a new quarterback, a new running back, new wide receivers, and a good majority of their offensive line that is new can still be a 19 and a half, 18 and a half point favorite, wherever you got that number at. I know it opened at 17 and a half and has only worked in the favor of Alabama. That goes to show you what Nick Saban can do with a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. So all of those moving pieces, yes, you have the expectation with Alabama, like you do with Clemson, like you do with Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, whatever it might be, that just because they are unproven does not mean they are going to be shaky. They are going to be good. They don't restock, they reload. All the cliches you can use in college football. I think people look at this Miami team They see that huge number. They see what Miami might be able to do in the ACC Coastal. They see De'Ara King being a Heisman frontrunner at the moment, paired with Brett Lashley. But I still have some questions about this Miami team, mainly in De'Ara King, who the last time we saw him on a football field, he suffered a very serious injury, and he is known for his mobility. That's what makes him the dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position. So I don't know if I'm going to bet this game, frankly, because there's a good chance Alabama could win by three touchdowns. And it wouldn't be that shocking of a result if it's 38-21 in the fourth quarter, Alabama scores twice, and whoop, all right, there goes your spread. So that's where I think I I wouldn't bet that game so much. I think the game I most look at from a gambling perspective in week number one is Georgia and Clemson. Of course, it's a top-five tilt. It is going to be incredible. A smaller three-and-a-half to the favor of the Clemson Tigers. I think that game is a good opportunity to jump in on UGA. Here's why I say that. In bookmaking, in sharp sports gambling, people will tell you there is a key number in football, mainly for the NFL, but it applies here when you have a two, when you have two top five teams. If the key numbers of three and seven mean something, you want to be on the right side of that number, depending on who you want to take. If you want to back Georgia, you are on the right side of that three, of that field goal number, because you are getting the extra 0.5 points, the hook, as it is known in gambling. So with the fact you get Georgia plus three and a half, neutral site game in North Carolina, obviously not that far from Clemson, South Carolina, but Georgia it'll be, travels it'll with the be a majority of Georgia fans. No, it, yeah. that'll be a majority of Georgia fans, yeah. I would agree with you there. So even in that case, I still look to Georgia. And I know Georgia has had some injuries lately. I know there's some questions about who's going to be catching the ball from JT Daniels, who came on so strong. I know we have the understanding that Georgia's defense under Kirby Smart is going to be great, but – I still think Georgia's getting a good number there. And I think Georgia might actually be one of the best teams in the country. Not ranked number five, probably should be ranked number three. And they are the second shortest odds to win the SEC behind Alabama, which makes perfect sense. But I would not be shocked if there was going to be a year for Georgia to catch the tide. This might be that time with all that they return and all the certainties around their team, as opposed to we expect it to happen from Alabama again, but a lot of new faces in Tuscaloosa. So I like Georgia plus three and a half. It's one of my favorite games that I will look forward to for that week one slate. It's also a really good number on the Bulldogs right now. I'm with you on that game. Uh, I'm, I'm all over Georgia just because this is Kirby Smart's best team. I think he believes that, especially. I know they're getting injured and they're banged up, but they they last year, 
and Oklahoma. And I, I look, I think if you're doing honest preseason number one and two, it should have been Oklahoma and Georgia. I think those are the two best proven returning teams. And that's what really what you should be handicapping in preseason polls is, is what's coming back right. plus recruiting, but really what's coming back. Those two teams to me and what JT Daniels showed with that offense is, you know, they're really effective when they can get play action working. I mean, they're just, they really hit you the run game and they try to keep you off balance and they've got all the weapons to do that. I know there's questions about George Pickens, but I'm not sold in this Clemson defense. Uh, their front's going to be awesome, but I'm not yeah. sold in the defense either. So I, I'm kind of with you on that. Anything else week one, any other tidbits before we get out of here? Anything uh, off, kind of off menu you're looking at? I believe one of the last games of the weekend is Louisville and Ole Miss. I think it is actually on Labor Day, week number one. It is. I don't care what the total is. You're going to bet the over. If they post <laughs> the total at 75, you're going to take the over. Louisville has one of the worst defenses you will see from an ACC school. Ole Miss doesn't care about defense. They're going to try to put up 55 points every time and are likely to do so with the third best total offense returning from last year. Josh, they put up over 470 yards per game. That's ridiculous. And Matt Corral is back. Lane Kiffin is back. Yes, I know they lose Elijah Moore, but they have so much talent there that they're going to try to score 45 and Louisville is going to try to keep up. So they could post the total at 77. I would still probably lean the over. As long as it doesn't get to 80, That's my that might be where I back away. But if it's going to be up there around 72 to 74, which I think it might end up being by the time we get to next weekend, take the over for that Labor Day game between the Rebels and the Cards. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be so many points scored. It'll be a nice ending to a great first weekend of college football. Of course, also a couple of Big Ten games that are huge. Penn State, Wisconsin, yeah. Iowa, Indiana, those are going to be great. But from a national perspective, that Louisville-Ole Miss game on Monday is going to be just chock full of offense. Yeah, I might. I, I kind of worry for Scott Satterfield. I'm not sure he's long for that job at Louisville. Yeah. Uh, all right, Ben, appreciate your time. Where can people find you and uh, on Twitter? And also, where can they find the show? At Ben Scott Stevens on Twitter. I try to have some fun. I'm still, although I'm not hosting Locked On Big Ten, I'm still Big Ten Ben. I'm still yes. very much a college football guy. I like to have fun with it. And then you can catch me all across the sports grid network the morning after each and every weekday 9 a.m eastern to noon it's on youtube live stream over the top networks everywhere sirius xm channel 204 all over the place randomly syndicated in places i don't even know i'll get people hit me up from glenwood iowa being like hey watching you right now so you can find it all across the board and if you like this gambling perspective that's what we do we also host a show called in game live on saturdays i host it from 2 to 6 p.m eastern where we will be giving you the live updates on those live lines all throughout the college football season. So all over that place. And Josh, keep doing the great work that you're doing with Locked On. Ben, it's always a pleasure, my friend. All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LOBig12. You can follow me at JoshNeighbors underscore. Until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe. basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.